the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Be a part of that process to, you know, go out into the field and, and reap what the Lord God has sown so that all can rejoice together, both God the Father who is the sower and us who have the privilege of going about reaping and sharing the good news of Jesus so that people would come into relationship with Christ. The time is at hand. Now is the time and the day of salvation. We have this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity of sharing Christ and being a part of that harvest work. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that some sow and some reap, but God gives the increase. When Jesus walked on earth, he taught a lot. He taught about the love of the Father and the need to share that love with the world. In today's message, Pastor Gary will urge you to do as Jesus did. You'll be challenged to be a part of something greater than yourself. It may seem scary or intimidating, but when you trust in the Lord and lean on His strength, He will empower you to share the good news with the world. The good news that Jesus came, died, and rose again so that all people will reap the gift of eternal life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John's Gospel chapter... Four. We are in the middle of chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. We left off with the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, this very tender uh, and yet insightful dialogue that Jesus has with this woman. Remember, she is a Samaritan. There is long-standing animosity between Jews and Samaritans. She finds it unusual that he as a Jew is even talking to her, but he's thirsty. He sits down at this well. All of his disciples have gone into the town of Sychar, the Bible tells us, to get food. And Jesus has this alone time ministering to this woman who comes to the well to draw water in the heat of the day. Little does she know this is a divine appointment and that Jesus is going to do more than talk to her about natural water. He's going to talk to her about living water. He's going to explain to her that he has something to offer her that is much greater than anything she could offer him. Though he is physically tired and physically thirsty, he begins to look into her soul and examine what is really lacking in her life to expose that for her so that she might see her greater need than what he has for physical water. Her greater need is for living water, that her soul is empty. And why is her soul empty? Because as Jesus begins to peel back the layers of her heart like an onion one layer at a time, he asks her a penetrating question. Why don't you go call your husband so we can finish this conversation? 
She says to him, honestly, I have no husband. He says, you're right about that. For the fact is, you've been married five times and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband, is he? In that moment, she is exposed. Her heart is now revealed to him because he knows all things. And so he looks right into her heart and what he realizes, what he exposes for her, so that she can realize, I should say, is that she's been drinking out of the wrong well. That she's on empty because she thinks that she can get satisfaction by multiple relationships. And yet over the years, her marriages have failed. And she has begun to realize that in fact how empty she is. Because she lacks something greater than what any one relationship or multiple ones can give her. And that is she lacks that relationship with Jesus. He is the living water who nourishes our soul in ways that nothing else and no one else can. So that's the scene here. And after this uh, exposure, if you will, where he asks this question and just kind of fillets her heart wide open, uh, then she's going to leave her water jar at the well and run back to town and tell everybody this encounter that she has had here with Jesus. So that's where we left off. It's right at verse 27. So in verse 27, it says this, John 4, verse 27, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Now pause there because you need to understand a cultural moment here in the context. Very unusual for a man to speak to a woman in public that he's not related to. On top of that, this is a Samaritan woman. And the disciples are aware. Remember on the weekend we talked about how Elijah calling down fire from heaven. In Luke chapter 9 it gives us the incident where Jesus and his disciples were on another occasion passing through the same region of Samaria. And because of the long-standing animosity between Jews and Samaritans, when the Samaritans would not give Jesus and his disciples lodging, Jesus' own disciples asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven and to kill all the Samaritans. Because they were attaching that scene to Elijah's story. So there's this long-standing animosity here. And they find it highly unusual that Jesus is talking to a woman and on top of that talking to a Samaritan woman. But they don't dare ask him, you know, because, I mean, who wants to, like, confront Jesus, right? You know, nobody's going to be like, Jesus, what in the world do you think you're doing? I mean, Peter maybe, but at least he's silent here, you know, at least he's silent here. And so they don't say anything. They find it unusual, but they don't say anything. Now, again, they've returned because earlier in the chapter, verse 8 exactly says that they were in town buying food. Now they've come back and they got their happy meals and with them in verse 28, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, so she, she leaves her water jar right there at the well. Now, I think personally because she's so startled and bewildered by the whole idea that this stranger she just met has told her everything about her life. She knows here this is more than just your average you know, guy. This is probably the Christ. This is the Messiah. She runs back into town. She says to the town people that are in Sychar, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Well, all the men know that instantly this implicates half of them. <laughs> and she's been married five times to the guy she's living with she's not married so maybe out of curiosity I don't know they're all now coming to see this guy who's told this woman everything that she ever did think about that everything she ever did you know, Jesus knows everything we ever do nothing is hidden from him 
and we must all give an account unto the Lord eventually. So she comes back to town here. You better come check this guy out. Could this be the Christ? He told me everything I ever did. Verse 31. So that's happening in town. But verse 31 says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Don't you... You got to be sympathetic towards these guys because, you know, we have the advantage of reading the whole story and we know, you know, the deeper issue going on here. But these guys are constantly in the dark. They're constantly like, what does he mean by that? Do you know? I don't even want to ask him. Let's let's not even ask. And so they're just bewildered. What could this possible? Could someone else have have brought him a sandwich? Because we were in town buying the food. How come he's not hungry now? But what he's what he's saying here is, well, look further. He He explains it. Verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, it isn't that Jesus never got physically hungry, because he did. But what he's saying here is, the greater fulfillment for me is not physical food as much as it is in doing the will of my Father. The greater fulfillment for me is not so much physical food, but it is doing the will of my Father. And he goes on to say in verse 35, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus talks here in metaphorical terms. He's using agrarian terminology. This is a farming uh, culture, this farming society. And he's talking about harvesting and reaping, sowing, planting, all of this kind of stuff. But what is he speaking of here? He's speaking here of the greater issue of life, which is eternal life, and he speaks in terms of sowing and reaping. Now, in the context here, it, it sounds like he's talking about God being the primary sower, and we just have the benefit of coming along and kind of laying a sickle to the harvest, but the harvest or the fruit of the, of the harvest are souls that are being saved. And Jesus says to his disciples, you know, don't go around saying four months more into harvest. Look around now, because spiritually speaking, the world is is white, the fields are white under harvest. It's like the head of grain that have now been exposed. If you ever see like a wheat field in its early stages, you don't, you know, see more than some stalks. But once it produces a head on the, on the stalk of the wheat and it blows in the wind, it's like this white field. And Jesus says, now things are ready, even now. So be a part of that process to, you know, go out into the field and, and reap what the Lord God has sown so that all can rejoice together, both God the Father who is the sower and us who have the privilege of going about reaping and sharing the good news of Jesus so that people would come into relationship with Christ. The time is at hand. Now is the time and the day of salvation. We have this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity of sharing Christ and being a part of that harvest work. But when you read further in the epistles, Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that some sow and some reap, but God gives the increase. So it isn't just that we're only reapers and God is only a sower. Sometimes in the course of just being used by God, you will have opportunity where you work, where you go to school, where you live, to just kind of sow seeds. 
to go, you know, to talk about Christ in ways that are just maybe planting some seeds, just sowing some seeds. Whereas someone else will come along later after you, and maybe they have the opportunity to reaping some of what you've sown, but in the end it is God who gives the increase. You can't make anyone get saved. No one, humanly speaking, can make someone else become born again. That's the work of the Spirit. That's God's part. But our part, plant the seeds, come along, share the gospel, help them to receive Christ, but the work of the heart is always up to the Lord. He's the one who ultimately gives the increase. But Jesus is challenging his own disciples. Look around. Look around. Have eyes to see. It was, I think it was Spurgeon who said, you will not become winners of souls until you are first weepers of souls. Then until we begin to weep over the lost in our world, we won't have a heart to want to share Christ with them, to go after them. So begin to weep for souls and then be used by the Lord because the field is white unto harvest. There are people ready for Christ now. And it's wonderful to see how God's Spirit moves in the hearts of people to bring us to the place of salvation. Well, in verse 39, so, you know, that conversation's happening there at the well, but now here come the Samaritans from the town of Sychar. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. A couple of observations here. First of all, again, here there is this long-standing disagreement and prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus, without any of that, spends two days and parks it right here in Sychar, which is in Samaria. Today, if you look at a map, In modern language, it's called the West Bank, but in God's language, he defines it as the region of Samaria, and Jews would hardly go through it, let alone stay there for a couple days, but this is Jesus, his heart for the Samaritan people, like his heart for all people, and he just ministers to them over the course of two days. Something else important to recognize, though the woman's testimony is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, what's implied there is In spite of the fact that he told her everything she ever did, there was something obviously very loving about what he did. Otherwise, she would have been too ashamed to tell anybody. So it's beautiful to think of that though Jesus exposed her heart and said, yeah, you're right, you've been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now, you're not married to. He didn't shame her over that. He loved her. He wanted to minister to her. She was broken. She needed living water. There were some sin issues obviously going on. But if she would just were shamed by Jesus, she would not have run back into town and gladly said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. There's always this loving grace from Jesus. You should never look at your life and think to yourself, I just can't have relationship with Jesus because I'm too ashamed. Should we feel the conviction of our sin? Sure. But don't ever let shame keep you from Jesus because that's not what he does. He doesn't shame us. He loves us and wants to forgive us. This woman, by the fact that she goes in there, excited to tell the town, is an indication to us that Jesus loves us, wants to forgive us, and he's not about shaming us. 
The third thing I think is important to see in this scene here is that it says not only did they believe because of her testimony, but it adds there in verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said, talking to the woman, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. A danger in kind of growing up in a Christian home, or being raised in the church, if you will, is in having a faith that is simply a faith that was given to you by someone else. Now, as much as you should appreciate your heritage if you were born into a Christian home or grew up in the church, every single person has to own their own relationship. It can't be based on someone else's faith. God bless grandma who influenced you for Jesus or mom or dad who influenced you for Jesus, but you're going to have to have a personal encounter with Jesus yourself. Otherwise, it's not your own. And these people are saying, well, we thank you for your testimony and we believe because of what you said, but we believe not just because of what you said. We believe for ourselves because we've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and now we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Well, verse 43 says, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Okay, that's a parenthetical comment there that John gives us, but there's some truth to that. Some of you have wondered why it is your own family doesn't seem to accept your faith. You keep witnessing to them, and they just turn a deaf ear. You know, obviously, nobody is is a prophet, nobody's Jesus, nobody, right? But the principle is intact. The people who sometimes are most familiar with you will be least accepting of your faith. And in regards to Jesus' ministry, the people who knew him most least accepted him. It's sad, but it's just a truth. Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so verse 45, it says that when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. And once more, he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Remember that scene back in, I think it was chapter 2, that was the first miracle of Jesus. We're about now to see the second miracle that John records. It also happens here in Cana, and it's also only recorded in John's Gospel. So once more, he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That's 1 p.m., 1 in the afternoon. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live, so he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so here's this scene. Again, the only, uh, this miracle is only recorded here in John's Gospel. You have uh, Jesus in Cana, in Galilee, and then you have this, what is referred to as a, a certain royal official. He's not named, 
who comes from Capernaum to Cana. Now, the distance from Capernaum to Cana is about 20 miles. And that, that's kind of staggering when you think about it. I mean, you know, in the day when there's no modern transportation, this guy on foot or maybe horseback or on a donkey or something is going to go 20 miles. And why is he motivated to go 20 miles? Because his son is laying sick, dying. And you, you'd do whatever you could too if your child were dying. And this guy goes to Jesus. He hears that he's there in Cana. He goes to Jesus and he begs him. That's the word that is used there in verse 47. He begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now Jesus responds with a bit of a rebuke. It's not really directed towards this man because the you, the pronoun you in verse 48 is in the plural in the original Greek language. Unless you, plural, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, but it's directed really to the whole crowd, you will never believe. Now listen, is there anything wrong with wanting to see miracles? I mean, this, again, this kind of sounds like a rebuke here. You want to see a miracle? The only reason you want to see a miracle here, you people will never believe unless you see miracles. Now, Jesus himself, John fourteen eleven, he said, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So when you, when you look at what John 14, 11 says, when, it, when, when Jesus is quoted there, it looks like Jesus doesn't have much trouble with the fact that some people look to the miracles regarding him. Because he says, if you don't believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. But the difference here in John chapter 4 is that he's perceiving in the hearts of some people that they want Jesus just simply to perform. Like it's a dog and pony show, you know, just Jesus, you know, put on a show for us. We want to be amazed by some of your miracles. And if the motivation is just we want Jesus to perform, then that's a wrong motivation. But if you come to Jesus because you believe in everything that he is and you're begging him to work miraculously on your behalf, there's nothing wrong with that. So there's a difference in the motivation. And back here in our story in John chapter 4, the royal official responds to him. Obviously, he, you know, he doesn't say, well, now that you've said that, I guess I won't ask what I've come to ask. Now, the royal official still says, well, sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't take it personally. Why? Because his heart is right. It's not wrong. His heart, he's pleading because he believes that Jesus is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all he could hope or imagine. His son is dying. He wants Jesus to come heal him. And Jesus replies. Notice how he replies. He didn't say, did you just hear what I said? Did you, excuse me, did you hear? Did I not give you two ears? Did you hear? No, he doesn't say that. He says, you may go, your son will live. This guy's heart was in a right place. And I love the fact here that Jesus sometimes heals because he touches the sick. Sometimes he mixes his spit with mud. And sometimes he just says the word and somebody is healed. And that's what he does here. You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word, departed. He's going to go back the 20 miles to the north where Capernaum is, kind of northeast. And then that's when he encounters his servants who have kind of met him halfway. Hey, you're okay. Your boy is living. And then he finds out, well, what time did the fever break? One o'clock. Hey, that's when Jesus said what he did. So now he and his household believe. So, you know, Jesus is gracious here. 
He is willing to do his wonderful work in the hearts and lives of people. He just doesn't want to be treated like some miracle machine, like, you know, all we want is for you to do good things for us, but we have no intention of, you know, loving you or surrendering to you or believing in you. So this guy had a legitimate request and he got a legitimate answer and Jesus was merciful to heal his son. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know